0: Thank you for joining me on this literary pilgrimage into the mind of one writer at a time. My interview today is with Jeffrey Yang, author of the poetry collection Line and Light.
2: It's not just about trying to write what is there, but trying to take away what isn't there in order to to find what the poem is about, really, that you're trying to write.
0: We'll be back with Jeffrey Yang after these essential words. First, I want to say to you, thank you for listening. The episode you're about to tune into represents eight plus years of dedication and perseverance for producing this show. In addition to conversations that go into depth about a writer's work and obsessions, this show and every interview it features aims to embody the values of honesty, vulnerability, curiosity, and connection. I invite you to join me in this journey as a First Draft patron, which gives you access to cuts from the interviews that didn't make it into the final show, ad-free, pitch-free episodes, and writing tips from my guests. You can become a supporter by going to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash writers. Any amount is welcome, but for $6 a month, you receive thank you gifts on a monthly basis. Plus, when you donate to First Draft, you are joining the community of writers and readers who support conversations like the one you are about to hear. With your donation, you are saying yes to continuing the space of honesty, vulnerability, curiosity, and connection that each show reaches to achieve. You are the scaffolding that holds up this platform that shares the insights and challenges of the writing life. So please go to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. And let's be honest, there is so much free content out there. In fact, what you are about to listen to is free, but it is not without expense in hard costs and labor to make. Don't get me wrong, producing these interviews is indeed a labor of love, But there is an incredible amount of labor involved, time and effort, planning and schedule wrangling across time zones, from Colorado to New York to London to Tel Aviv to Auckland and back again. And it all adds up to the creation of this show and the archive, which has more than 300 episodes you can dive into. I put so much care and effort into this show, and I hope you can tell with every episode. The process begins when I select a book, contact the author, schedule the interview, then I read the book, take notes, conduct research, have the conversation, and edit the show. This takes equipment, organization, more late nights than you can imagine, and a lot of heart and sweat to come to fruition each week. And there is no staff. I am the show from start to finish. I know you may not be in front of a computer right now, so why not write a note on your hand or set the alarm on your phone to remind yourself to donate to First Draft when you get home. Please beat the odds of having to listen to this seven times before you join the First Draft community. Go to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. Please stay tuned at the end of this show. I'll offer recommendations on an episode in the archive that is similar to the one you're about to hear. And please rate the show on iTunes and tell everyone you know to subscribe. And thank you for your support and for being here with me today, right now, in this moment, and on to the show. My guest today is Jeffrey Yang, the author of four poetry collections, including Hey Marfa, winner of the Southwest Book Award, and An Aquarium, winner of the Penn Joyce Ostervey Award, He is the translator of Liu Xiaobo's June 4th Elegies. His new collection is called Line and Light, which track light and energy through art, myth, and history. The poems in the collection ask questions like, What vitality binds the universe? Or, Am I geography? Line and Light begins with one long poem that explores the ancient Malay kingdom of Lankasuka, a legendary nexus of creativity, commerce, and spiritual life that was threatened over time by violence, climate, and environmental degradation. Yang's collection includes many poems inspired by art, memory, and the natural world. We began the discussion with me asking Jeffrey Yang this question. Your collection line and light is... You know when you write a lot of poems and then you want to put it in a collection, you're you're kind of looking for some organizing themes. There's five yeah, sections I... in this book, and the first one is a very long poem. And I would say just on the very surface, some of the things I noticed that interest you, and then we'll go kind of deeper into into what you sure. actually wrote. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw a lot about things that are carved. Like carvings into wood, what that means, a sense of vastness, but also alongside this idea of vessels, so things that hold. Uh, I thought I saw many references to poetry, emptiness, and fire, and birds, and form and formlessness, and that interplay. There's a lot of Buddhist ideas next to. Um, juxtaposed, I guess, it, it, with with grasping. When you hear me say that list, does it mm-hmm. sound like I re- I read the poetry book that you wrote? And what are your comments about that?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. I think you, you've touched on a lot of the themes and things, especially that first long poem, Wagusuka, uh, which comes out of the the melee shadow play, uh, which, you know, is so rooted in in, in, it's a spiritual art, you know, uh, as as I think of really poetry in many ways, too. Yeah, you mentioned that there was five um, sections and that, uh, you know, is also a deliberate, I I was trying to figure out how to uh, organize book and it's always nice when it finally clicks into a uh, kind of complete structure I, I love that moment too uh it, whether it's a single poem or a sequence of poems when you when i finally realize how the structure is going to be it's it's uh it takes a lot to figure that out sometimes but with the book the five i mean i, I wanted there's also a lot of stars there's certain uh, uh or in, images of stars come in here and there not 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 as much as other things, but but so the five sections were kind of like uh, thinking about, uh, in my mind, the five points of the star in a way and and, and, and how it kind of uh, conformed this book and, and as a source of light, you know. Um, but um, a lot of the themes that you mentioned uh, in your list come out of that first section, but then also relate to the rest of the book too, I think is, as well, like especially the sequence um. No home, go home, go home, no home. And that that one, if you look at or if readers, you know, look at it, you'll see that there are poems written with this artist, uh, Kazumi Tanaka and her and the images she made with with tea ink, and a lot of uh, the kind of ideas of form and formlessness and and uh, come into that poem too. But yeah, in the first section, I mean, there's especially with the Tao Jing. That text is very important to the first section. And I've, I've loved that text for so long and I knew I wanted to do something with it at some point directly. And I just didn't know what. And it, it just kind of, again, it was that moment of like, oh, this I think this is what I want to do, uh, is interweave this translated lines and things from the Tao Te Ching into this sequence of poems about the shadow play I don't know if it works, but but it all kind of, it all all kind of made sense to me, like doing it. Yeah.
0: Let's talk about the first poem. It's almost, to me, it's very long. It's it's based on um, this idea that you, that you mentioned this ancient Malay kingdom, Lankasuka. And I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit about what it is and then let's, let's talk about the poem it's it's in segments that are numbered it's mm-hmm. in some way it's um, it reminded me of a ballad um, in certain ways you begin with saying um, I open my eyes to forget I close my eyes to remember and so I felt like the poem in general in this remembering was like bringing someone back to this this actual dream state of, um, that's almost primal in, in their being. Um, so tell me a little bit about this poem, especially for, for listeners who might not have read it
2: yet. Yeah. Um, no, thanks for all those comments. Yeah. It's, it's a poem. It it took a long time to write this poem. I, I started in 2012, um, after, a visit, uh, being invited to Kuala Lumpur um, to, to do some events there. And I met my hosts, Ed and Ku and Pauline Fan. Um, they run this organization called Pusaka, which is seeking to preserve the traditions of the shadow play there, the wine cooler. And i had always known about shadow puppetry through um, the Chinese culture, which, you know, uh, uh, just as a child and, and different things. Um, but it was amazing to see how um, vibrant and vital it uh, it was in Malaysia uh, there, and what they were doing with it. And so, I wasn't sure if I was going to write anything about that. But I just it just kept a lot of things about that trip, and thinking about what we were talking about, and what we were, and then what I subsequently started to read. Um, so a, a lot of that comes into the poem. And so, like you said, it's made up of numbered. It's a numbered sequence of 63 sections. And it kind of moves around the idea of this kingdom called Langasuka, which is thought to have existed at some point, And there's evidence of it existing and there's textual references to its existence. But because you know a lot of these cultures and civilizations that didn't have say a written record or a lot of their architecture or their like you're talking about carvings their art is made out of these very these materials that 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 disintegrate you know like wood you know or you know even paper and things and so how how can a lot of that be preserved so the evidence that is <clears throat> that you see of this Kingdom is through what persists, and uh, in the art, in the poetry, in the wood carving, in the shadow play, and so I was struck by that idea of this kingdom and how it continues on to to be to kind of live live on through you know these master engravers, through these dalangs, which are the the puppet masters, and through a long tradition. Of, of art that, you know, changes over time. And so I wanted to see if I could write something. I don't know. It, it wasn't even that deliberate. It was just kind of coming into, into this this world and trying to be open to it and seeing what there was. And, it, you know, it originally the, the poem was much, much sh- uh, shorter. It was much shorter and it was, there was no numbers. It was just separated by little breaks. And then it just kept, Getting bigger and and I let it sit for a little bit, you know, and come back to and say, oh, I'm I'm going to separate this into first different sections, and then I I thought, no, how about these numbered sections? And so it kind of it kind of kept growing until it stopped.
0: (laughs) Well, what about that idea of something primal of the beginning when you you know you open your eyes to forget and you close your eyes to remember It, it. Yeah, As you enter the poem with those lines, it felt like, to me, like going back in time to something that is more maybe universal among humans and almost, I mean, maybe relates in some way to Jung's collective unconscious, but having to Mm -hmm. do with our shared human experience.
2: Those two lines for me are still a little bit mysterious for me, but I knew they had to open the poem. You know, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I think if you want to relate it to Jung and and these kinds of collective images and myths that we have, that we share among cultures and things, I mean, just the very visceral idea of everything that we're seeing right now, day to day with our eyes open, a lot of it you don't really want to see, (laughs) And then, and then you know, as a way of like, uh, you know, it's really how do you look deeper into something when your eyes are closed, but you're actually looking deeper within into other things. And so it, it seemed to make sense when it, when uh, with this art form, this this shadow play, like, which is so much about what is uh, hidden and concealed, and 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 um, the music, and and just kind of this ritualistic thing that that you're right it goes back so so long and has survived for so long and and it's changed and um but but it's still important and it's still the the bright emanations of a civilization you know <laughs> you know even though it's threatened by so many different things you know as, as other things are
1: yeah this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe
0: So some of the questions that that brought up are really about ourself. Who are we? You have a line in there, am I sanctuary? Which was one of my favorite lines in in the whole book. And it reminded me of this movable, malleable self, questioning, unknowing, but curious, amidst feeling maybe undefined. And also, one with the surroundings at the same time. So there's so many paradoxes in there when you're investigating who we are as humans.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, especially in the beginning of the sequence, as you know. There's there's these poems, or uh, especially one poem where there are these series of questions that come up, and um, and and that does connect to this again, this this kingdom langasuka, like what what is it, you know, what, what was it, what is it now? And, and so a lot of those questions of what I was trying to find through through research and through just talking to others about this. Yeah. Evan Koo wrote this a, a beautiful book. Uh, I, I, I mentioned it in, 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 in the book about uh, melee wood carving and he, he uh, he comes into one of the poems cause he is kind of doing that trying to figure that out too and look more into what this, what this kingdom is through wood carving, you know, and uh, you could find like where it roughly was located and where, what what come, but what comes out of it, you know? And so, and so a lot of those questions were trying to, in the poems, what was, was trying to, to get a bigger, a larger sense of that. Uh, and, and it does, and I think, you know, it connects. It does connect to so much uh, of, for me, anyways, of of not just this one place that that was, but but uh, with other ideas of how you know we continue to exist. You know, uh, in in ways and what 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 is lost. What do we carry on? You know, and what is important to us now and why? You know, these kinds of questions.
0: Is there anything about wood carving that you think is similar or has a similar effect as an artist or someone observing the art to poetry
2: yeah i think there's uh i think it's a it's a incredible kind of metaphor for poetry too because i'm also interested in, in seal carving which is you know like those they call them chinese chops where you uh where artists would engrave you know their various names or um, a saying or something. And you see it on Chinese paintings, uh, the classical paintings, traditional paintings, landscape paintings, and even portraits and things. But it becomes so much part of, of the art as well. And a lot of like that carving, it's it's, uh, it's uh, carving itself and sculpture uh, relating to sculpture is about negative space and how what is formed through, say, this seal of a stamp is, is what is either, you know, carve without, or there's, you know, there's, there's different ways of, of carving it. And it's the same with, you know, this wood carving, I think in poetry, you're really trying to, um, it's not just about, you know, trying to write what is there, but trying to take away what isn't there in order to, to, to find, uh, what the poem is, 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 is about really that you're trying to write, and so and that again relates a lot to the Tao Te Ching and this uh, idea of emptiness and something ineffable, which is so connected to I think traditional Chinese poetry itself, like this kind of trying to to, to write the ineffable in in a way. So yeah, I love that seeing you know these carvings, and and it, to me it's it's so much about poetry, you know, (laughs) you know, the lines, the curves, and, and what comes into shape as you continually kind of like work on work on a poem.
0: It's interesting that you you talk about the negative space, because a concept that came up, not just in this poem, I felt in some ways, it was one of the themes throughout the book, was this idea of expansion and compression. And specifically with the natural world and the natural order of things that nature on its own can eliminate excess and can compensate for deficiency. So nature can find this harmony. It can find this sort of status quo and sense of equilibrium on its own but that we as humans tend to go towards the excess that we, we can't find that and that we need nature. We need to live in nature and bring out that nature in us to find that kind of sweet spot where everything is, is in balance.
2: Yeah. um, No, I mean, all of these things you're saying, it's kind of like uh, definitely things I agree with and, and, and things that I, I think about and come into this book. The more that I kind of continue on with poetry, you know, as as reading it, as an editor, right and writing it, the more it, it almost seems like everything poetry and, and art is 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 coming out of, you know, our relationship to nature and what nature, you know, is and what nature has changed for us over, over time and what it means to us. But but um you know, there is this kind of like harmony in nature, but there's also, it's, it's more about kind of also about species trying to survive, you know, like in their particular environments and habitats and that relationship they build with each other. It's so complex and it's, and it's so interconnected with, with everything that, like you say, like with human involvement in these things, it's just, you know, and we're seeing, we're seeing this to the extreme today and we're trying to to fix that in, in different ways with climate change and things like that. But I think it's hard to find with with how we're living right now. Uh, and what, you know, this just gets into other questions of just how we're um, living as a uh, community and a society and stuff. It's so hard to to um, find that balance, I think. And so at least I try we could try and find it in our art. <laughs> you know, with uh, with trying to figure out uh, or feel the way that things can be, like sometimes, you know, and uh, trying to write these things.
0: You seem very influenced by art. And I wanted to ask you about that. One of these sections, your poems are based on some tea leaf paintings that a friend of yours made that you write a poem for each. But first I want to ask you overall, how do visual arts in in specific influence you as as a human and as a writer? The, they seem to move you towards the page?
2: I think it's one other entry point for poetry uh, as a poet and language. Both the visual arts and music have have been a huge influence for me I mean I, I think for for so many you know writers I think but with the image and in, in visual arts and trying to, think about the image in poetry, I think it's a very rich and connection to explore with it. And there's a long, you know, many poets have written about, you know, the visual arts or particular pieces of art or artworks and stuff. But there's a few sequences or there's a few poems in here that come directly out of um, um, the visual arts. You mentioned the one with the, uh, the tea drawings. And there's also like the title poem comes out of This artist Melissa McGill um, and her installation that she made on um, a little island in the Hudson River which is about 15 minutes from us and that's where the title poem directly came out of because she invited me to kind of uh, a few people to kind of respond to it and and usually you know it's I don't like to do that actually (laughs) I, I just kind of prefer just to have the, the artwork speak for itself but sometimes it, you know it's maybe it's a little bit um there's a little bit of irony there because there are these few things but sometimes I just if it, I just have if I moved to to do it then it, it's kind of listening to that because um with the art installation piece that Melissa uh made that's there's these poles she set at different points on the island and the island itself has you know a, a, a a rich and interesting history and on each island she she or each uh, pole she put um this light on top of it that uh would come on i think automatically maybe like uh, an hour i can't remember exactly before dusk and through the night and so it would make this kind of constellation she her, her artwork was called constellation and so i was and so in thinking about that you know for me it really broke down for me, like the essence of what poetry is for me. Poetry being composed of lines, all the various lines that, um, that run through so many different disciplines from math to, to biology and everything. And then light, you know, light as, uh, light being energy and a source of change. And so, um, and so, I mean, that's just one example of how, uh, this art installation kind of triggered these thoughts about, uh, poetry for me. And so being able to write that's that poem. Um, then there's, and then the very last poem called ancestors is connected to, uh, a art installation as well. And, and that's made of wood. So it all kind of made sense for me because I it, the book opened up with a lot of references to wood carving in, uh, the Malay culture. And then I saw these this installation by Yun Sik Nam in, in Korea. And it was and it just kind of fit with all, so many of the themes that I was trying to deal with and write about in this book. Yeah, I don't know. Something just I think it's our response to art is so um different for each person. Uh um which is and uh, reader as readers too. And but it's but when something kind of triggers that like oh what you know certain lines come up and, and I start to explore those things and, and, and see where it goes.
0: This visual element and, and all these arts that influenced or inspired you to write or that you were just responding to in your writing, how that might influence the shape of your poems? Because I noticed, especially as we got deeper in the book toward the end, mm-hmm. your poems have shapes especially coral for Kamau is shaped almost like if you, if you stand back, it's maybe like a, like a bending river. Um, yeah. Some of them are very square. So I'm wondering about how that, you know, how does shape come into an interface with your ideas and what you want to write?
2: I think the shape of a form is like you're talking about the physical shape in these in these various poems, there's some even that are uh, perfect squares, like you mentioned. Um, it comes; it, 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 it's not something that um, that comes that I think I'm going to do right immediately. Like to start, it comes out or tr- as part of the process as as, it, as it's being written for me, and it becomes part very much part of the structure and form of a poem and finding that, that shape. And so like the first sequence uh, of poems are pretty much, you know, usual flush left with stanza breaks and, and different things. And, and that all seemed to make sense for, for that whole sequence with the, with the choral for Kamau poem that you mentioned that uh, it was written for Kamau Brathwaite, the, the great Barbadian poet. It was the shape of that poem as I was writing it um, was so much about being underwater and under under the ocean and the swaying of kind of like coral and kelp and different things like that. Uh, and so it kind of made sense to do that. and it, and it connected so much to me with to kamal to spirit. You know, uh, you know, his some of his words come into the poem too. And then so, and then some of the, the, the kind of square poems, like there was one or even that whole sequence written for written in connection to the teeing drawings are these kind of rectangular field poems with uh with spaces. I mean, that that had a lot connected to the shape of the art itself, which was a very deliberate 10 inch by 10 inch uh um, drawing. Also, like years ago, I started to translate classical Chinese poetry in this kind of field shape with spaces in between, and it, it also connected again to uh, to what I was talking about: seals and chops and the spaces within that. And so that's I kind of adapted to these poems too. And so I don't know. Yeah, it took it took some time to to find those or it often takes time to find those structures. But once it, it connects, it's, it's, a, that's a great feeling for me. I mean, to, uh, to feel like this is how it should be, you know, in my mind and stuff. Cause sometimes it doesn't work that way. You just have to throw it away.
0: <laughs> do you write them in that shape or do you shape them later? So yeah, I'm curious if you end up writing things you have to take out just because they don't fit the shape, even if you like what you
2: wrote. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it's it's off. It's more like uh, I'm starting to write something, say like uh, um, in that field, rectangular and and shape, and, and and it starts out usually as just lines, you know, being entered and stuff, and then slowly as I as I kind of figure out more of if this is going to be one poem or maybe it's going to be you know a sequence of poems or something like that. Once I hit that structure, I'm writing it in the structure. The fortunate thing about that particular rectangular structure uh, with the T drawings is that it's actually very, it's a very elastic uh, structure. And so it allows for a lot. So so later on, even if I thought I was finished with one of those poems and I, and I thought, oh, I actually want to add a little bit more to it. It'll it'll let me do that. You know, I didn't have to destroy everything in order to do that because of the spacing that always isn't the case.
0: You know, part of, I think writing can be that idea of non-attachment because you have to sometimes throw away things, even you like, if they don't fit into the poem. And that idea of Buddhism is also enmeshed in all of these works. Um, You talk a lot about that to be like nothing enables vastness that, mm-hmm. um, in the letting go or fulfillment in the stillness or just really questioning like who you are. I just wanted to ask a little bit about that, about what is your relationship to Buddhism? I know you were mentioning, you know, some arts and the, in the I Ching. What's your reaction when I say that?
2: It's one of those things where i kind of wish i could call myself a buddhist <laughs> but I, haven't, I haven't really reached that enlightenment state yet. you know that's probably uh the worst thing to say to anyone who's a buddhist or, or who is a teacher of buddhism there's so much tradition and culture of buddhism and and how specific areas and how it's spread i mean i'm totally fascinated by that history and by the philosophy uh, as as well and 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 i think it overlaps with so much uh, too, uh, especially if you're looking at ancient Chinese history too. You, you're you're looking at you, uh, you know Taoism, Confucianism, uh, you're, and uh, 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 Buddhism, and, and these things that overlap and intertwine, and and things, and it, and it makes for an interesting mix at various points in history in time, and and for what people are writing, and 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 the art that comes out of that. You know, there's so much that is just, it just leaves you awestruck with when you're, what you're seeing in some of these sculptures or, or the art. Um, and, and and the philosophy itself, I think it's, uh, it, I, yeah, I mean, it's, for, for me, like, that, what is, I guess, uh, the Buddhist aspects of philosophy and stuff come out through in the context of um, whatever is being written about in 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 the poem. And so, in the first sequence, you know, coming out of the shadow play in that art form. And then in the tea ink drawings and, and and things, there is um just that ephemerality of using tea ink as as the medium. And it actually ended up surprising the artist that it didn't fade but that like she thought it would. It kind of like um uh, Deepened a little bit, but as long as you you took care to cover it, you know. But 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 again, that kind of transitoriness, you know, and like you talk about detachment. I mean, I think it's yeah, a lot of that kind of um I connect with deeply too, and think about a lot. Yeah.
0: So you were mentioning these tea drawings, and you had a friend who has these beautiful drawings from tea leaves, and you include them in the book. And it sounds like she. They don't come out very often. They're covered. They're yeah. um, very preserved very well. But as you said, she, they were drawn in, in in this tea ink. And when she took them out, they were preserved better. Or in some cases, the color was richer than when she started. And what you did with each is you wrote, you show the, the picture. And pictures are a very important part of this collection. There's a lot of them in there, but you, in this Mm -hmm. section, you show the picture, you write the poem. The poem is juxtaposed on the opposite side with its translation in Japanese. And then also in each poem, you have a nod to the next picture. So the last lines are in the very end of the poem, you work in the next poem. So we turn the page and we see that next picture and it goes on from there. Just wanted to ask if you can talk about the process of writing these and and your idea to do it.
2: Yeah, I mean that was again like trying to figure out the structure. You know, I had visited Kazumi's uh, Tanaka's studio, and we, she was just showing me some of her sculptures and some of the things she had. She actually works a lot with wood as well, uh, with little carvings and things. And then she showed me these ink drawings that were very personal for her. She grew up in Osaka and, you know, has been in New York now for a while, but, but her mother and her connections are very, still very deep in Osaka and her mother was ill. And so I I, I, I don't know, I can't, I, I'm just not sure if she started to, to draw these things because her mother was ill or not at the time, but she definitely was thinking a lot about her childhood and growing up in Osaka and some of those images are all about that and so when I saw that I'm, I was really moved by the whole sequence of images and I started to think about lines that were already kind of coming to me about some of the images and and then we started to talk more and she and she said she would be happy if I would write something in connection to the images and so I didn't know that they were all gonna to do to, to, to be like this again it, 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 until I started to, to actually write. Some of the poems, and so I, some of them, I started to write, or you know, come directly out of each image, and so I was, I was playing around with that, and, and then it, it was great because, um, you know, there's this tradition of album painting, uh, in, in, a Chinese tradition of album painting that that I found connected to Kazumi's images, and then this, the tradition of uh, Japanese poetry, Renga. Um, where there are, it's, it's I'm totally simplifying this, but there's um uh it, it's basically, you know, these connecting images, seasons, flowers, um, rhymes, you know, throughout the poem that connect to things and linked up. It's like a linked and it's a, it's often a, a communally written or can be a communally written thing. And and so once I figured out like, oh, I can connect this thing. Uh, this series of images that was finished um through language by making it at a, a kindaranga. Of and so like you said, each poem, the end of it will connect to the next image. And the very last one will go back to the beginning. Um, the Japanese translations came later uh and it, it kind of just um really completed the cycle of the of the of the whole project for us. Um, and you know, because it's so much of, of the painting those drawings uh, and the poems are looking for a way home in a way, you know, and, and what that means. Yeah.
0: One of the things you write, cause you have a note before it and you you're talking about these Chinese albums and you're talking about Shitao's album, returning home, which you just mentioned. Yes. And uh-huh. one of the things you write in there is that the brushstroke as the origin of all phenomena, which is like emergence, which made me think that your poetry and this art was merging, that there's so much braiding together of things. And I just thought that was a really beautiful concept about the brushstroke as the origin of all phenomena.
2: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I didn't say that, right? That's that's a quote. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, but no, yeah, exactly. Shitao was was saying melding it into a line, but 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 no, I I you know, and when you when you see some of these kind of like Buddhist Chan paintings, or you know, some of these ones where all it is is like the stroke of the brush, or you know, getting into kind of um, uh, Zen and and just that circle of the brush, you know, it's it's uh, you could see um, that concept being played out like so you know strongly and powerfully and and um but yeah i think um there there's there's a lot written about that in in chinese painting and stuff just the the, the you know and you, we were talking again about nature and stuff i mean so much of 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 when you're learning uh, Chinese calligraphy or Chinese painting, you, th- th- there's all of these comparisons to to nature, you know, to, to these, in, in these kinds of, you know, traditional manuals, you know, what they're seeing or they're seeing like, or, or it could even be someone like, you know, uh, doing a sword dance and they're thinking of, oh, this is how the brush should be. <laughs> it's kind of great, like how how these analogies and, and metaphors come, come out, you know, and, and um, inspire, you know, the, the brushwork.
0: <laughs> Can you read a passage from an author that speaks to you or influenced you as a writer?
2: Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so um, this is a poem by Sushir, uh, a Song Dynasty poet. And it, uh, this translation, I, I found it in a uh, in the Poetry Society bookshop, Poetry Society bookshop in Scotland, in Edinburgh, when I was there uh, in college. And it was just a postcard of this uh, poem. And there was no indication of who the translator was. And I, I tried to find out who this translator was. But nobody, uh, they, they didn't know. And they, it wasn't on the, in the card or anything. So it's, um, it's, it's titled To the Tune, Immortal by the River. And it goes, um, drinking at night on the old east slope, adrift or drowning in wine, then heading home at what I thought was midnight. The boy's asleep, his snores a distant murmur. Nothing stirs to greet my knocking. Leaning on my stick in silence, I hear once more the river's song. I'll always remember those words of yours. Your life is not your own. Then when shall I give up my plans and pretensions as dawn draws near when the wind has dropped and the waves settled? A small boat might leave this place with all that's left of me, by river to the ocean.
0: Is there anything you want to say about why you chose that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just a poem that has stayed with me for since you know I found it. It's also the translator t- took a lot of liberties, <laughs> you know, with it. You know, because since since that time, I looked at the original a number of times, and just, just seeing what what the. But it, there was, I don't know, just finding it and 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 um, something about the way it kind of drifts along, and that line, "Your life is not your own." Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, it's 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 something that it's a poem that has stayed with me for for many, many years, long before I started to translate, you know, Chinese poetry.
0: Can you read something you wrote? Maybe it was tricky or hard or changed a lot from the first draft.
2: Yeah, um, this also was hard to find because so much it's like everything <laughs> <laughs> like the, or so much of what I've written uh, changes um, a lot. And so I'll just read, I mean, I'll read some of this poem, Stones and Stars. This is, this is the first block of Stones and Stars or stanzas. And it's in, it's, it's in four um, sections of 14 lines each. And it goes, there's a cemetery near my home that belongs to a state prison inherited from the hospital for the criminally insane that the prison used to be. It lives quietly behind the local high school, between the tennis courts and the new football field, hidden by tall pines and maples and other trees. A barrier gate with private property signs, piled dirt is easily skirted around the middle of the overgrown path, continuing on to the cemetery. The path runs along a chain link fence, arms emptied of wire, dividing a row of residential houses on the left and the cemetery on the right. The cemetery rests in an air of secrecy and seclusion as if it belongs somewhere else, deep in the forest, or in another era or dimension or trance, accident, or afterthought. Though it still happens to exist here in this time and place, a diurnal sphere of the latitudes changing seasons. Yeah, this is it comes directly out of this cemetery that's that is a hidden cemetery near where I live. And I, uh, you know, for 15 years, I've, I've been kind of running through it or, or is it walking it, walking to it. And, and, uh, I never could figure out, um, I never knew how to write about it. And, um, and it wasn't until like a friend of mine, um, was asking, I can't remember the project he was doing, but he asked if I would send him something and it was during COVID, you know, I was taking walks to this place and, and it's just started out as like a few a little, Paragraph that I sent to him, and then um, and then it came into these kind of like fourteen line uh, blocks, and so it was it was nice to to uh, th- again this kind of structure came into being. Where do you write? Uh, mostly in my study. Um, uh, I live in Beacon, in uh, New York, and uh, we have like a detached shed, uh, and uh, that's mostly yeah where I work. <laughs>
0: What do you do, or where do you go to get away from writing?
2: Um, I like to hike and run and and be outside. Uh, I also, you know, listen to music and I, I play uh, I play an instrument or two here and there to to uh, get away.
0: Who do you show your work to first to get feedback? Uh, it depends
2: on the poem, but for the most part, it's my editor uh, Jeff Shotts at Gray Wolf.
0: How have you dealt with rejection?
2: That was kind of a big question. I wasn't sure like what <laughs> were you thinking of something in particular like rejection wise or or or
0: mostly related to writing but feel free to 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 have it be un- universal.
2: I think with writing it's uh it's just focusing on the work, really, and, and listening to, I mean, I think it depends. Sometimes, you know, when someone writes a rejection or there there is something they say about the work as well, and, and I... I appreciate those um, things that, that are said as well, but it's mostly just kind of uh, uh, focusing on the work, I think, and and feeling that that it's what you wanted, that what I wanted to kind of accomplish with with a poem or something like that. But it's also knowing, like, if you're talking about like sending things out uh, to magazines and such. I mean, um, I think once you realize that all of these. Magazines and you know publishers and things. It's not just this uh, huge uh, amorphous institution. <laughs> it's it's really one or two people who are kind of bound to what whatever kind of vision that, that this magazine is trying to do. And so, it's, so oftentimes, it's 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 so you know it's it's you just kind of have to realize that sometimes these things uh are only being looked at by you know one or two people and um and, and so if you're kind of focusing on the work and thinking about that you know I think that's that's what the important part for me about the writing is yeah and, and 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 that and part of that is is what I'm you know what I'm reading you know too
0: what is your favorite word
2: that's another hard question I have a lot of favorite words but one of them uh, is this Chinese character uh, Ling. And um, I wrote a poem about it. Um, it's kind of a sad poem, but in my book, Vanishing Line, called Elegy for Ling. But this, this character Ling, um, which has many meanings, um, um, including like al- being alert, or um, it also means spirit or soul. Um, um, someone departed. Um, but the way it's written, is the, it's the character, there's three components to it. Uh, there's the character for rain at the top. And then there's these three mouths in the middle that are just squares. And that can be kind of like, it's in Chinese, that, that character is called uh, ko mouth. Uh, but it could also be like these little gates or, or portals or something uh, they look like. And then on the very bottom is this uh, old um, character, Wu, which is a reference itself to a lot of things, but, uh, to a particular type of shaman, uh, in, in, um, in ancient times. And so it's just such a, a beautiful, beautiful character and work, and it's part of people's names sometimes. And so anyways, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time and sharing. I'm so appreciative.
2: Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for taking the time too.
0: If you liked today's show with Jeffrey Young, author of the poetry collection Line and Light, check out my interview with Yi Yun Li, author of the short story collection Gold Boy Emerald Girl. We discussed her childhood in China and the role of stories, telling stories in her second language, and transforming her mind from scientific to artistic. Lee just won the Penn Malamud Award for Short Stories. You can find that interview and the entire First Draft archive of more than 350 interviews at firstdraftwriters.com. You can stay tuned to First Draft on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for First Draft A-D-O-W. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com anytime. Remember, there are plenty of extras for becoming a member and donating to First Draft, including access to pitch-free, ad-free content, as well as cuts from the interviews that didn't make it into the final show, writing tips for my guests, books, and more. Join me as I reach for honesty, vulnerability, connection, curiosity, and insights on craft with each episode. I can't tell you enough how much each and every single dollar counts in keeping the show alive. The first tier of support is just $6 a month, so please go to patreon.com slash first draft writers. Coming up in the next few months on First Draft interviews with Lawrence Jackson, No Violet Bulawayo, Zina Hashambek, and Lydia Yuknovich. I want to send out a huge thank you to my patrons for making this interview happen. Your support makes First Draft a dialogue on writing a reality every week. Please stay healthy and safe. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm your host and producer, Mitzi Rapkin. Thank you for listening.